0: We're going to continue in worship this morning uh, through our worship through the Word and through the teaching of the Word. And uh, if if it's your first time this morning or or maybe um, kind of first time getting connected in this season of our church, uh, we are in a sermon or a message series called Spread. And the subtitle of this message series is How to Live When You No Longer Have Home Court Advantage. Because um, here's what I know is that when we do this thing called life, it doesn't always feel like other people are cheering us on. Sometimes it feels like we're going through this thing called life, uh, right, and solo, kind of, right? And um, life is hard. Anybody else? You know what I'm saying? Like, this thing called life, um, it's filled with all sorts of imper- imperfections and failures. And the last thing that we want to do is live life and feel like we're fighting kind of an uphill battle. Uh, but many times that's what it feels like. Maybe in our career, our workplaces, through our school, or maybe we're trying to get our education or relationships. And many times through even, even our faith. Um it feels like we're we're fighting an uphill battle. It feels like maybe that we're the only ones. So in this series we've been looking at the Book of Acts. And the book of Acts in the Bible is the story of the early church. What started out as, these, as this cult called the way, these people that were like, hey, this guy said he was going to resurrect, and then he did it because we saw him, literally it was this group of people, this, whole, this small handful of people that literally multiplied into this thing that we call Christianity today. A couple billion people that self-identify as Christians today that literally multiplied in a time where honestly the church didn't have home court advantage. Actually, the odds were against them to multiply and to spread. So we're going to be learning some lessons from the early church again this morning. And I titled this message specifically this morning as Grace at Work. Grace at Work. If you're taking notes this morning, um, you can write that down. We'll also have any of the notes up on the screen as well as the scriptures. But I'll say this about grace. Jesus, Jesus, this idea of Jesus, God in the flesh, this man who walked the earth, fully God, fully man, a great example and the perfect example of what grace looks like. You know, sometimes people talk about mercy, not getting what you deserve. Grace is literally like getting a promotion when you deserve to be fired, right? on just kind of generic terms, and that's what Jesus did. This guy, like, unlawfully was murdered, and he died literally for the sake and the benefit of even those people that were murdering him. It doesn't make much sense. It's this grace that we talk about many times in faith traditions and in church, and Jesus himself was this personification of what grace looked like, this guy who chose to die for his enemies, right? So sometimes we look at God and we're like, okay, now what does grace look like for us? Because I don't know about you, but I don't measure up. The Bible says that each and every person, we fall short of the glory of God, right? So we don't, we know, we don't measure up to, to Jesus. So we know what grace looks like when Jesus walked the earth. But what does grace look like when grace is kind of happening through our own lives? What does grace at work look like in our everyday lives if we're not talking about Jesus living, breathing, walking on this earth? What does grace look like? And we're at this section of Scripture that's going to give us a a beautiful picture of what grace at work actually looks like, feeding, fueling, and happening through the effort of human beings. See, God's mission for His church, as we see it multiply and we see it spread in this early story of of, of the church, is literally finding those who are outside and bringing them on the in. What was once reserved for Jewish people, people that were connected with God and the Jewish faith, God was bursting something right open. He was breaking down wall of prejudices for those who were on the outside, and he was allowing the grace of God to not only spread but to multiply not only for God's people, those who were a a part of the Jewish heritage line, but for everyone else as well. And it's interesting because you look in the book of Acts, (laughs) and you see progressively more and more, lifestyle for those who are like, I'm a Christian, is like more and more risky. More and more uncomfortable. And it continues to look that way as they realize the threat as they don't have home court advantage. So we're going to pray this morning and we're going to dive into a section of scripture that I believe is just going to help us with a really practical picture of how we can literally allow grace at work in our own lives. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, once again, we come before you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your power. Lord, we come in here this morning not as, uh, as religious people, but as, you, as your children, as people that literally you see us, you know us, you know every hair on our head, you know there's a purpose for each and every one of us. Would that purpose be more realized this morning? Would we walk out understanding more of whose we are, we're yours, but would we also understand that uniquely you've created each and every one of us. We're breathing this morning with purpose. And Lord, you, you've called us to be people that allow that purpose to break in to every sphere of our life. We're so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Okay, so let's talk about the spreading up to this point. Like we're kind of jumping in at Acts chapter 11 that, that we're going to look at. But the spreading of the church during this time has been really, really messy. It hasn't been like, hey, we're going to go spread about all things about Jesus and everything is like roses and daisies and all these things, right? Um, actually, there's been a lot of bloodshed. There's been a lot of persecution. In fact, a few chapters earlier of what we're looking at is the first guy who's killed because he's a Christian. He's like this guy named Stephen, right? He gets stoned to death. Like Jesus gets crucified. This guy gets stoned to death, literally just dies by the, at the hands of people just throwing stones repeatedly at his body until he was deceased, right? And the reason why this guy died is because he had this massive Jewish audience and he's like, guys, I know we love, uh, we're church people. We love to hang out in the temple courts. We like to do things at the temple. But Stephen is like, Jesus is doing this new thing where it's not just about this like central geography in Jerusalem and in the temple, but he's literally allowing himself not to be confined to a certain space but we get to be the space we get to be the temple God is not confined here and he's allowing us to spread and include others who are on the outside in and the Jewish religious people got so mad about this idea because they were so caught up into the nuances of their religion that they missed what God was doing in the present time and the present circumstances so literally Stephen upsets these religious people These people that are literally living on behalf of God to the point that they kill him. And because he got killed, persecution happens. And naturally, because of the persecution, people start spreading. And what happens is all these early church people start spreading throughout the geography of the Middle East. But meanwhile, the leaders of the church in the Jerusalem, the apostles, figured out a way to lay low. So now we have some of these leaders that are still in Jerusalem laying low because of their faith, and we have all these other people being persecuted for being Christians. Now, now are now kind of spread out throughout the geography of the Middle East, right? So we're kind of just setting the stage for what we're looking at in Acts chapter 11. So we're going to kind of piece this together. In Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19, it says this. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. So we're going to look at a map really quick because I'm kind of a visual guy. I think this is kind of helpful. Like many times I'm like, I don't even know what's happening here. Like you read the Bible, you're like, where is this? How does this relate? You're giving me a bunch of cities. I have no idea. I can't even visualize it. So hopefully this helps kind of stimulate an idea of what's happening here. We have Jerusalem at the bottom. Hopefully you can see that. And at the very top of the map, there's Tarsus, but there's also this place called Antioch, right? And Antioch was this massive metropolis of where we're going to be focused in on this morning. And if you look at the key there, approximately 300 miles away from Jerusalem where the persecution began, now we have people spreading out to places that are like nearly 300 miles away. They didn't have cars, trains, you know what I'm saying? Like this is distant. This is the church being spread not because they were like on mission and wanting to. They had to because they were being persecuted. So it kind of sets the stage of understanding the scale of how spread out these people were simply because they said, we believe in Jesus, this guy who taught things, who claimed to be God, who died and resurrected, and we saw him living after he was killed. And they're spread out. And it gives us an example as we look into Acts chapter 11, this picture of what was happening. So let's continue on in verse 20. It says in verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, Went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Okay, we gotta pause for a second because first we these people start kind of telling telling the Jews about everything that Jesus is doing. And then they start to shift gears where they start telling everybody else about what Jesus is doing. Like, hey, this isn't only us for this like Jewish religious like in crowd of a family of God, but God is actually doing something where He's inviting everybody else, the Greeks, also known as the Gentiles, in on what God was doing. And this is so interesting because up to this point in the scripture, we know that all the Jewish people are getting rocked. Like all the people that were hanging out in Jerusalem, kind of hanging, hiding out, keeping, it, keeping the, laying low, they were beginning to spread out through some of these like rural areas that were surrounding Jerusalem. And one of the things that they found out is this isn't just for me. But this is actually for everybody else as well. There's a man named Cornelius who was a Gentile. He was on the outside. And what Peter, the apostle Peter, realizes is actually God's doing the same thing he's doing with me with this guy. This guy's breaking down walls, the prejudices that existed, those walls are vanquished, and now those people are getting in on it too. But this happened in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And now the people, word began to spread so fast about what God was doing. Hundreds of miles north in Antioch, people were like, hey, we want other people to get in on this too. This is what God is doing. And something beautiful began to burst forth in God's heart and what he saw and had planned for humanity. And it says this in verse 21 as we continue. It says, the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, right? It's like, uh, Mother Church needs to be notified that God is breaking out and doing some amazing things 300 miles away from the source. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas, you can only imagine, like this apostle, church guy. You know, he's from the church in Jerusalem. He's one of the leaders. And he shows up. Who knows what he's expecting to show up and see, right? And here's what he sees. It says when when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Wait a minute, whoa. The grace of God was happening. We need to pause for a second and understand, okay, we don't measure up, we're not Jesus, Jesus is grace personified, but something was happening where literally this guy from the church shows up, see these, sees these, oh, Everyday, normal people that could have been complaining about their circumstances. I have to live in Antioch now because I've been persecuted. Woe is me. I'm a believer in Jesus, and now I'm having to suffer. They could have just went down this line of just like pity party, pity party. But you know what they're actually doing? They're actually spreading, engaging with other people, inviting other people into this new reality of what Jesus was introducing. And they weren't only inviting the people that were Jewish like them. They literally were inviting those on the outside into it. And literally what Barnabas does, he shows up and he's like, the grace of God is at work. Those who are on the outside are coming in. And what I see is the grace of God at work. What had been happening Was put into words in our Bible to describe what the grace of God at work looks like. When people who are disenfranchised, when people who are on the other side of of literally a distance between people, when those things begin to get reconciled back together, the grace of God is working through people. And here's what I love the most about it it wasn't based on professionals. This wasn't just for the professional Jewish people. This wasn't just for the church professionals who were in Jerusalem leading the charge. These were the people that were spread out, that were persecuted, but they carried the same authority just like the leaders of the church. They carried that same authority to the point where the people who were spread and persecuted allowed this moment for people to say, that's what the grace at work looks like. When the grace of God is at work, This is what it looks like, those who are on the outside being welcomed into this family that God desires and sees when it comes to his view and his heart for humanity. So then it goes on, and it begins to describe more about who Barnabas was. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, in verse 24, and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So he shows up, and man, God's still working through him as well. God hasn't forgot about Barnabas, but you see God working through multiple different candidates of people, diverse candidates, not one type of person that meets meets a specific resume or type of religious status. And it says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. So Saul is this guy we read about a little bit earlier in Acts who was literally the ISIS of his day, right? He was on a mission to kill religious people, specifically Jesus followers, and we know the story, many of us, is this guy gets rocked by Jesus, and God's like, yeah, what you wanted to do to harm my glory, now you're going to be used for my glory, right, blinds him, kicks him off his transportation, and basically gives him a new mission in life, so it's interesting, so Barnabas now is like, man, like, Paul has seen God's glory, Paul has seen the grace of God, now I want Paul, man, I want to go grab Paul, Because I want Paul to to get in on whatever is happening here in Antioch, 300 miles away from the source where God's grace is breaking out through normal, everyday people that are following Jesus to the best of their ability. It says in verse 26, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So I love this. First and foremost, everyday normal people that were spread out being persecuted didn't want a pity party but said, we're going to use what God gave us in the midst of our circumstances and we're going to allow the grace of God to break through. It wasn't like they were like, "Uh, church in Jerusalem, Uh, can we get permission to continue God's mission and do what you've called us to do? No, they were like, we know what we're supposed to be doing. And they didn't, and they didn't need the leaders in Jerusalem's stamp of approval or permission to do what God had called them to do. They knew they were allegiant to God first and foremost, and they just did it. But then we have these other guys that come. These leaders of the church, which are much needed, because here's what's happened. So many times we want to do our own things and go rogue, but this is why God creates structure and accountability, not to create pastors and church staffs and all this kind of government that's around churches to make people bitter and feel like they're just like locked into a box, but literally we see this primary example of what posture Paul and Barnabas took as the leaders of the church. They were like, we want to come and teach you guys because we want to pour fuel on the fire of what is inside you. Can I just say this to you uh, this morning, that our church, myself, my role, our staff, we are not designed to basically like put you, basically put you in handcuffs when it comes to your faith. You know what our role is? First and foremost, I just believe this, leaders, the best leaders are those who serve people, who wash people's feet. My number one role as a shepherd is to wash the people's feet that we're, we're all serving together. But also, you know, I'll say this, our role and the reason why we function as a staff and leaders is to pour fuel on the fire of your life. Because here's what I know, if your, fi- if your life catches fire, you're going to go back into your spaces, the places where you're called, and those places are going to catch fire. And before you know it, Ponca City is going to be up in holy flames in terms of God's grace and his power. We're going to see our city and our community changed. But it's not about the leaders. Sometimes we, we get that confused, like it's on the leaders. But no, no, the leaders are there to pour fuel on the fire of what God is doing in your life because you are called to a specific and unique purpose for your life. I'm not called to the same things that you're called to, and we're better together when we begin to engage in those very things, and we see this beautifully illustrated here early on in the book of Acts. The leaders were there just to remind people, this is what we're doing. This is what we're all about. You know, there's so many different thoughts and and ideas of who Jesus was at the time. They're like, we just want to make sure the mission is pure that we just keep doing the thing we're supposed to and we just keep encouraging people to keep on going. Let's keep changing the world together. I love that. This is what the church was doing and then and then we we continue in this section of scripture, right? So the grace of God is at work. Outsiders are coming in. The church is it's going bananas because people are catching the vision. People are catching fire and chasing after what God is doing through their lives individually. And it's all happening 300 miles away and then we get this interesting verse, this small verse that, that we've kind of, we kind of isolate out of it, if we could go that, to that next verse on the screen there, it's Acts eleven twenty six. 26, just, it's, it's, it's just halfway through verse 26, and it says this, we can't miss this, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, this is so interesting, you know, I think previously, this is kind of how I always viewed this verse, it's like, whoa, that's so cool, like, literally people were being so Christ-like, like, so loving, like, so everything Jesus that, that people just gave him this nickname. I remember just always assuming when I read this, like, this is a positive thing. Like, we need to live our faith out to the point where we get the nickname. Like, the nickname kind of, there's elements of that. But here's what we need to know. This is popular perception. This isn't like what, what, what Christians were calling themselves. Actually, Christians were calling themselves all sorts of different words during this time, right? Believers, followers, in Jesus. This is the titles they were giving themselves. They referred to themselves at this time as saints, brothers, believers, the way as mentioned earlier, disciples, but there was these other people that were giving them this title. They were calling them Christians, and it literally was based on this kind of analogy of, of political adherence. In the same way, there was people that were like politically for Caesar during this time. They were Caesarians, right? Maybe there was Herodians during this time, people that were politically for Herod. There was, there was all these different types, so this is a new title, Right? This is like, oh, this is kind of this political kind of area. Like, this is these, these types of people that they follow this dead guy named Jesus. And can I just be real for you for a second? If it really was a threat, if people really viewed them as a threat to Caesar, people would have done something about it. But it was like, well, this is this kind of like political partisan group over here um, that, 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 that we we're going to call Christians because they, they, they're following this dead guy. But they're not actually a threat to us. See, we can't, we can't always assume like the label that gets placed on us is the thing that's going to like win people over because people just slap this label on people and it had a lot to do with the politics and how people are kind of categorized. I think about it even today and many times how there's misappropriated words that are used to describe church people. One of those words I think that's a really, really clean, almost equivalent is the word evangelical. You know, for some people, they hear the word evangelical and they're like, yeah, that's my tribe, that's my people. Other people hear evangelical and they want to puke. Because they think about a certain group of people, and they're like, it's negative for them. They've had bad experiences about these types of people and how labels have been slapped on this group of people. It's been a stereotype. But it's interesting. Here's what we've got to grasp, though. Is that this isn't a label. This wasn't the grace of God working and like God being like, I'm giving them a label. But this was just not prescriptive but descriptive of what the world and the culture was trying to do. They were trying to label. They were trying to slap a title on these groups of people. But how these group of, how this group of people functioned was different than maybe what people were trying to label them to be. You know, it, it's this. It's, it's kind of like the idea of like, if we want to bank on the label, we're probably not going to win too many people over. It's like starting a conversation of, like, you're trying to win somebody over that thinks differently than you, and you're like, well, I just need to tell them I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And it's like, oh, you are? Well, I could. I just want to listen in and just glean from the wisdom of your life and believe everything you want to believe. It's like the same thing when I meet people. It's like, what do you do for a living? It's like, I'm a pastor, and you don't want to say it sometimes because you know it's just like, wall. You know, it's like a conversation was just going amazing. You're like, this guy could be my best friend. You're like, I'm a pastor. It's just, you know. Like, it's reality. Sometimes it's just like I don't use that title because I'm like, I'm a leader of a nonprofit. You know what I mean? It's like you just want to like jump through hoops because you don't want to relationally shut people down based on a label. You can't expect in our day and age to be like, I'm an evangelical. And people are like, really? Like I want to be convinced by you. See, the label, the grace of God at work in this text, there's this this kind of parallel and, and there's this contrast happening. See, there's this label that was being placed on Christians, but regardless of the label... The Christians knew they had work to do, and it was filled with God's grace. And it was inviting people in who were on the outside. It was operating out of kingdom principles, the grace of God working through their lives. See, they didn't create the title themselves, but in the midst of work and a mission of what God wanted the grace of God to break through in people's lives, I think it's interesting how within this narrative, this small section of Scripture, We're given a break in the narrative to show what people were trying to label Christians of during that time and how that can be such a distraction for the church today to want to wave the banner of the label, give the resume of how Christian I am versus getting distracted and not actually participating in the grace of God at work through his church. You can't lead with the label. God wants to use us and allow us to be vehicles of his grace at work. And then this section of scripture finishes off in Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 27, and it continues, and it says, so during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. So you know, history is the greatest proof of whether the Bible is true or not. So we have some guy claiming there's going to be this famine that's going to break out. History books show us this actually happened. But this guy this, like, this guy, this follower of Jesus, prophetically speaks this out, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Like, there's a famine. Like, this guy starts being kind of spiritual, you know what I'm saying? Like, he starts prophesying, and he says, there's going to be a famine, right? And sometimes we can kind of like, just get zoomed in on that, like focus in on this, like, oh, he's kind of like those guys who, you know, are, are, are prophesying when the end of the world is. No, stop. Don't, d- don't mislabel it because the scripture continues. We, we can just get caught. We can stop there and just turn our brains and our ears off. Like it seems like some kind of like spiritual nut job who's like predicting something that's about to happen. But here's what happens. Here's, here's the point, right? Because we're sandwiched in what people are trying to label Christians as versus what Christians actually do in the world. And this is what it says. And in in verse 28, uh, it continues on in verse 29, and it says, The disciples, as each one was able, here is their response to the prophecy. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. See, this is what's so amazing. It's like sometimes we just get so caught up with like the spiritual things. Like how spiritual are you? Like I'm impressed by Agabus, this guy who predicts this famine. But for them, they're like, okay, we're going we're to understand this is what God's doing. And it means nothing unless our feet get moving and we actually become a part of the solution. Before the famine even happened, they took the prophecy and weren't just like standing and praising God and saying, look what God's doing within us. They said, okay, God's doing that out there then we as us are a part of the solution out there. The prophecy is what catapults us to be people that are not focused on how we are doing But it's immediately a posture of saying, how do we help those? It wasn't like they were like, oh, my gosh, famine. What are we going to do? Stockpile as much as you can, you guys. We need to survive this thing. Their thoughts immediately and instantly when somebody prophesied that trouble was to come wasn't what was going to happen with them, but a posture outward of saying, how can we help people on the outside? You know, sometimes people are like, well, Christianity is not that different from, like, every other, like, spiritual, like, religion or whatever. I'll tell you how Christianity many times is different. Many times spirituality points us and says you need to find yourself. You need to discover yourself. You need to look inward to find your true purpose in life. But Christianity says, no, 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 this isn't about the kingdom of me. This isn't about the kingdom of my comforts. This isn't about the kingdom of myself, but this is transitioning from a selfish person to a person that says the answers aren't on the inside, but the answers are out there in this bigger purpose in life called the kingdom of God. And that kingdom calls me to a place where I give up my own rights, my own kingdom, and I begin to serve the rights of everyone else. But how have we gotten that confused? But I love it. Early on in the church, there's a posture of the grace being at work because labels were being thrown out. They couldn't police what the labels, how people define the political label of a Christian during this time. But actually what they had in their hands to take care of and to steward was saying, how do we meet the practical needs of people who are suffering around us? How do we connect with God and see things ahead of time and anticipate things that are going to happen so that we can be ready and a part of the practical solution because that's who we are as God's people. We aren't floaty people that live in a bubble that aren't connected with the world, but we're the people that allow heaven and earth to collide so that people that are living in hell start feel like they're touching and tasting heaven and its presence and power through what God's doing through his church. See, many times we can miss... And lose out. But I love it. At once, the Christians in Antioch do not say to themselves, despite the label, they've got the label. People are defining it in any other way. But they're saying, label me however you want, but I'm on mission. This is what I'm doing. They're not asking, how shall we survive? How are we going to make it through this famine? But They're saying, how can we help those who will be in a worse position than ourselves? How can I offer help to somebody that's in a worse position than I am. There's something so powerful and profound about that that lies at the heart of what Christianity truly is. They were labeled, yet they were committed to being those who would allow the grace at work to find them. So I just want to, we're going to transition into a a practical application because here's what I believe. Once again, like this can be something that hits our brain, massages our brain, helps us think these are good thoughts, these are great things about the Bible. But it needs to start transitioning into our hearts. How does, this, how does this affect you? How does this honestly affect your worldview? How are you going to be different when you leave this place because of the realities of what we see of a people that were, had the, the worst advantage? They, were, they, were so, they had nothing near home court advantage, but literally they were thriving. And they were seeing the purposes of God break through in their own life where they were like, I feel like I'm alive. More than ever before. I feel like I'm in the pocket of my purpose on earth more than ever before. And here's the practical application I want to challenge us with. How are you getting in on the grace at work? How are you getting in on it? Because here's what I'll say. There's this massive temptation for you to equate the grace at work as the resume guy of like, well I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian and I do all the Christian things. and that's where the grace is at work in my life. But once again, this isn't about labels. This isn't about the track record. This isn't about how long you've attended church or, like, making the check boxes and all these different things that other people are going to label on top of you as a Christian. But this is literally how are you getting in on the mission? How are you making a difference? How are you getting in on the grace at work? Because we live in a world where the grace is at work all around us. And we can literally stop and stay in our churches and pray for revival when revival's breaking out all over the place. Because people that are called to not confine God within a space understand God and the DNA of heaven is within them and they're literally allowing that DNA of heaven to burst through their lives, inviting people into a new gracious reality that God invites each and every one of us onto in this earth that we didn't deserve in the first place. How are we getting in on that work? And I'll just say this, this is why our church exists. To pour fuel on the fire, to allow and understand that this thing, it's not about us. As a community, our church is not for us. Our, our church literally takes a posture of saying, we're for everybody else. Like, it, 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 literally, it, once again, it, we're a cruise ship or we're a battleship. We're a cruise ship or we're an aircraft carrier. You can come in with the posture of church of saying, all the professionals are going to serve, dance, serve me on this cruise ship. Or we can view it as an aircraft carrier where we understand that we, we join together, we land to the planes, and then we send and equip people to go to places that we otherwise couldn't go collectively. That's the grace of God at work. That's how the, the early church defined the grace of God bursting through when other people were getting connected to the inside. And when we functioned in a community, where literally, that's what we have in common. We understand each and every one of us has received grace, but now it's time to be sent outward to a mission to invite others into that same very grace that we so graciously received. Our posture has to change from how do I survive to how can I help those who are in a worse position than myself. Just truly believe this. No matter what season of life you're in this morning, you could still make it about you, good and bad. You could say, well, what about me? What about my paycheck? What about my friend groups? What about this? What about the obstacles in my life? What about this season? It feels like a desert. Excuse after excuse after excuse. The kingdom of God calls us to rise above the kingdom of me and say, if you're breathing this morning, you are in a better place than people that are literally contemplating taking their own life. And you can make a contribution. You're in a place today with a purpose no matter where you go. And this is what we do many times as people. We're like, I'm complaining about where I'm at. I'm in the geography I don't want to be in. But God's like, forget that. Do what you're supposed to do where you are today. The kingdom of me says I got to worry, I got to be concerned about things not looking perfect because it's all about me, my needs, my preferences. But the kingdom of God calls us to, be a place, to a place that says, hey, guess what? No matter where I find myself, I have something I can contribute. I have a mouth with words that can speak life into somebody's life that needs to be encouraged today. I can speak hope into somebody's life who's like, you know what? I feel like I'm, I'm grasping onto life and I feel like I'm letting go of it. But that's who we're called to be to lay down our own preferences so that we can literally see the grace of God at work. Collectively, we are so much stronger when we get sent out to understand that we have a purpose wherever we go. And that's why God has called his church to spread because when we begin to spread out, man, we are in such a better place and we will see our community transformed, more people who buy into that vision. It's less about come, come to me and it's more about Let's come together so that we can be sent out and change the world together. Amen.